You want to rock, paper, scissor to see who's preaching? <laughs> I'd rather do this. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to continue our series in Ephesians today. We're going to read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And uh, this passage starts with some really bad news. So I want Sabrina to read it. <laughs> um, and actually, so she's going to be reading from the message. Um, the message is not a translation. The message is a paraphrase or it's an interpretation. Um, is written by a wise old Presbyterian pastor. So I think it's really good. Uh, but it's just important to note, it's not a translation. As we go through the text, we'll read in some other translations. So, all right, let us have it. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. And then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. And if we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He created each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he's gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And that's the right way to read the message with just a little attitude. That's good. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We know that you're present with us as we hear the scriptures read. And we trust that you'll be present with us as the gospel is proclaimed. That especially today that you'll open our minds. That you'll open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Because this needs to sink in. The truth that the Spirit sends to us through the Apostle Paul needs to sink in. We need to take it seriously because this changes everything about how we understand and live this life as we wait for the next. So we pray that your Spirit would be moving in us, working on us, and going from this place with us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. So we're gonna break this down section by section as we've been doing throughout this series. But before we do that, I wanna show you really quick how Paul uses these first 10 verses in Ephesians 2 to proclaim the whole gospel, the fullness of the gospel. These 10 verses, they proclaim the gospel in three ways by describing three things. Paul describes the life that we've been saved from, 
who and what we've been saved by and the life that we have been saved for. So we hear what we're saved from, saved by, and saved for. I want you to hang on, remember those three things. Now, unfortunately, like I mentioned earlier, if we're gonna follow the text, which we are, that means that we have to start with some pretty bad news. Um, And it's actually really heavy, um, if we're honest. We're gonna hear some things again in just a minute that especially in our culture today, um, at best sounds ridiculous, but at worst is probably offensive to some. And as we deal with this, it might cause some tension within us. Some of this might not sit well with some of us, but y'all, that's okay. Because God invites us to wrestle with him as we grow in our relationship with him, as that relationship matures. Wrestling with God is good, especially when we do it in community. I've probably told many of you before, the name Israel means what? Wrestles with God. God named his family my children who are going to wrestle with me. Wrestling is good, but walking away isn't. So when we approach scripture, when we hear difficult things, every one of us has to decide, do I trust what it says? Even if I don't like how it sounds. So a little bit of bad news first, but hang in there, really, really good news is coming, I promise. Uh, We're gonna start again, verses one through three. I'm gonna read this from the New Living Translation. Uh, It says this, once you were dead, because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Okay, first, Paul starts by explaining to us, remember he's writing to Christians in Ephesus and he says that Christians were dead in sin and disobedience. Christians were once the walking dead, just like the rest of the rebellious world. And listen, this is a very important distinction to start with. Christians were not just people who were sick in their sin. They're not just sin sick, they're dead in it. As the message said it, sin dead. This is really important, Tim Keller talks about this often. Um, Sickness, it comes in degrees, right? You can be a little sick, really sick. Um, And oftentimes we have options of how to manage it. Many times when we're sick, it's mild enough that we can deal with it ourselves by just getting rest, hydration, maybe some over-the-counter meds. Even if we get really sick, um, oftentimes we can get ourselves up, we can go to the clinic, and then the doctor prescribes the things that we need to go home and do in order to get well. Now, not always, I know, but oftentimes we play a major part in our own healing by the things that we choose to do when we are sick. Y'all, this is so important to understanding the gospel. Paul is not saying that we were sick He's saying that we were dead. Sick people can play a part in their own healing. Dead people play no part in bringing themselves back to life. Now, that's heavy, but here's how this plays out in our daily lives. It's actually really subtle. 
Um, we become convinced over time that we're pretty good people. We just need to be better. And if we work hard enough, we can be better. And if we are better, then God will love and accept us. That is a false gospel. Like that is a false gospel. That is not the truth. No, God isn't just making bad people good. He's bringing dead people to life. The gospel, the good news is that in Jesus, God has saved us from a life that ends in death. That's the first thing. We also find in this passage that in Jesus, we have been saved from living this life in opposition to God, in rebellion against God. Paul reminds us that we were just like the rest of the world, that Christians once were a people who obeyed the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And I love the way the New Living Translation says it because that's clearly what Paul means. Other translations, if you open your NIV, it'll say the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And that's a good translation from the Greek. But we know who Paul is talking about. He's gonna go on later in chapter six and name them. It says this in chapter six, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He names them. He goes on to say, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, now I know that that sounds like fantasy. It sounds like mythology. But all the scriptures leave no doubt. There is a present and active spiritual world in which Satan or the devil, whatever you want to call him, along with other fallen created beings, they are constantly at work to influence, to manipulate, and to exploit humans, human culture, so that they can lead us away from God and toward our own destruction. I understand it's weird and it's hard to wrap our minds around, but it's, but it's real. Now, the sad thing is that much of our modern thinking about Satan, about the devil, it actually it doesn't come from the Bible, it comes from Greek mythology. Like, I hate to disappoint you, but that pitchfork-wielding, horned beast man, <laughs> that's not a biblical image. European Christians imported that from Greek mythology. I think that might even be the work of Satan, because that image itself has gone a long way in promoting the idea that he doesn't exist. It makes it easy to dismiss something that ridiculous. It makes it easy to mock people who would believe in something like that. That's not how Satan works. You see, in reality, he's much more subtle. Satan doesn't need a pitchfork. He doesn't need a terrifying persona to turn us against God. All he has to do is whisper in our ear. A little manipulation, a little twisting of the truth, gain influence over us one decision at a time. I know this is a lot. Maybe, maybe you have a hard time believing that it's true. Maybe when you look at what's happening in the world, you think, look, it's really simple. Good people are good and bad people are bad. I get that. Sometimes that is the case, right? The devil doesn't always make you do it. <laughs> Sometimes it's just you. But I wonder, if that's really what you believe, 
how do you explain it when you see real evil in the world? Like Uvalde. Or like a supermarket in Buffalo. Yes, it was human beings who did those things. But is it really human for an 18-year-old to kill his grandmother and then go murder 21 children and teachers? Is it human to walk into a grocery store full of people and kill them because of their race? Is that human? Or is it something else? Germany in the late 1800s, it was the pinnacle of human progress. Most consider it the most sophisticated culture on the planet at the time, maybe the most sophisticated culture that had existed up to that point. And in less than a generation, that sophisticated, cultured society came to accept the suffering and murder of millions of humans. They fought a war for the right to do it. They said that they were doing it to make human life better. Now, yes, the specific plan, it came from a smaller group of people. But y'all, an entire society bought in and went along for the ride. What's heartbreaking is that many churches in Germany bought in and went along for the ride. They were manipulated into calling the mass murder of millions good. How does this happen? This is from an author, Daryl Johnson. He says, do you really think that human trafficking is just the work of humans? Do you really think the stronghold pornography has on our culture is just the work of humans? Do you really think the grip that gangs have on people is just the work of humans? Do you really think the power wielded by dictators and authoritarians is just the work of humans? Do you really think conspiracy theories and lies are just the work of humans? Y'all, this matters. How we explain this matters. Because the way that we look at and interpret the world, it defines how we live in it. And the scriptures clearly tell us that the darkness we see in the world is about so much more than just good people breaking bad. There are powers at work in and through us that are hell-bent on destroying everybody God loves and turning everything God made into chaos. Now, before we move on to the next section, there's two important things to mention really quickly. The first one is that Paul points out in verse three that our old nature, again, remember he's talking to Christians, our old nature deserved the wrath and the justice of God. That just like the rest of the world, we were easily manipulated and influenced into thinking destructive things are actually good. That we sided with the world against God. We set ourselves as enemies of God. And just like the rest of the world living in sin and disobedience, we deserve the wrath and the justice of God. Now, there's more to say about this and we're gonna deal with it in the next section. The second thing is that these first three verses are very important because they are a sobering reminder of where we came from. I think one thing that Christians, we need to check ourselves on, we need to watch ourselves, that we can be really guilty of judging the non-believing world because they act like non-believers. 
Y'all, that's actually illogical. Why would a non-believing world act like believers if they don't believe? Why would they go along with our morals and our beliefs if they don't hold them? The scripture reminds us that we are to never forget that when we are tempted to judge the darkness in the world around us, that was us. That was us before God saved us from a life of chaos and destruction that ends in death. It doesn't mean we say what's happening in the world is okay. But what it should draw out of us is empathy and not judgment. If we are truly alive in Christ, then we will be different from the world around us. But we're different not so that we can be against the world. We're different for the sake of the world. That by being different, we can humbly show them that there's just another way. That the life they're living leads to death. That we have found real life. All right. It's all the bad news. You okay? <laughs> Somebody asked me coming in, they were like, hey, you gonna go easy on us today? I was like, I'm not doing anything. But Paul's bringing the fire, so you gotta, you gotta get ready for that. Listen, I, it's, it's, it's hard to hear, I know, but, but I think it's actually good news. Like I think if we think about it, it's actually good news because it's describing the life that we've been saved from. And when I think about that, when I think that even somebody like me can be saved from that, then it reminds me that others can as well. That others can come to know God's saving love. That there can be redemption and restoration. It gives me hope. But let's move on because there is really, really good news. Uh, who and what we're saved by and the life that we're saved for. So I'm gonna read verses four through seven. This time I'm gonna read from the New American Standard Bible. It says this. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. And then in parentheses, he says, it's by grace that you have been saved. And he raises us up with him and seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay, who and what are we saved by? Am I saved by my good works? Am I told to, to go be better in hopes that God will start to love me? No. How can anybody turn to scripture and come away thinking that? It is by grace you have been saved not by anything you have done. Y'all, we weren't sick. We were dead. And dead people cannot bring themselves back to life. It is only the person of Jesus Christ and the power of his life, his death, and his resurrection. That is the only hope humanity has for a future with God. Now, there are three words that are really central to the gospel, very important for us to understand um, as we start to finish up today. Those three words are justice, Mercy and grace. And I want to show you how many have defined these terms. This comes from Daryl Johnson's book on Ephesians. And Garrett, if you would, let's go ahead and show these slides. Um, he says that justice is God giving us what we deserve. And that should make us shudder. 
Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. But grace, grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Apart from God's work in Jesus Christ, we are the walking dead. This life lived without Jesus is death. It's a living hell. The Genesis 3 story that Katie read, it tells that humanity made that decision. That we decided to go it alone, to try on life without God. Humanity chose death over life. This scripture is telling us we made that same choice. So justice is God giving humanity what it deserves, what we asked for. Leaving us in that pit. Giving us over to death. And he'd be perfectly just in doing so. The Bible is not the story of an angry God who wants to kill you because of your sin. That is a misunderstanding of the gospel. It's the story of a God who terrifyingly has respected your decision to choose death over life. And if that's your choice, he lets you make that choice. Justice is leaving you in it. That's why the first, four, the first two words of verse four, that's where the turn happens. That's why this is such incredible, such good news. And the two words are, but God. Daryl Johnson says that that little phrase, it is the gospel in its simplest form. He said it could be the title of the whole Bible. From the beginning to the end, humans did but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. In his mercy, God chose not to leave us dead in the pit, not to give us what we deserve, but to pull us up and out by making us alive in Christ. Jesus took the justice that we deserved upon himself and we got mercy in its place. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. But y'all, I told you this is really, really good news because God has something even better in store for us. Verses eight through 10, this is from the ESV. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Grace by faith, the hope of real salvation, real life, heaven on earth, even in part, a role to play in God's kingdom. This is what we do not deserve. And it's something that we cannot earn. It's a free gift that we have been given. If we trust the scriptures, it is so clear. It's so clear. But we often forget or we turn away from it. It's like we don't realize how amazing and beautiful it really is. And I think that one reason that we forget or we turn away from it, I hear so often in Bible studies here at this church, and this is no offense meant to anybody. This is just what we've been led to believe. What is it, grace or works? Faith or works? How am I saved? 
How is it even a question? Scripture is clear. It is by grace, through faith, that you have been saved. So that you can go do the work that God has for you. I think one reason that we forget, one reason we make this more difficult than it is, is because we can't accept the hard truth that Paul already told us, that we were dead. Because we want to believe that we're sick. Because if we're just sick, that means that we can do the work to make ourselves better. Like, why do you think self-help is so popular in our society? When it never works. (laughs) It's so popular in our society that even churches have turned to it. Churches have turned to the false gospel of self-help just to attract the masses. And do you know why? Well, there's a few reasons, but the practical one is that telling people they're dead in their sin, it doesn't sell. Especially in a world that has set itself against God. In a world that's been manipulated and deceived and convinced that it doesn't need God. I understand the world being misled and, under, and believing that, but the church? Like what power is it that can even convince the church to accept and preach a false gospel of salvation through self-help and prosperity? Yet it's in the midst of even that kind of deception that faith comes to us as grace, as a gift. And Paul says that that faith leads to a life of good works done in Jesus. That's the life that we have been saved for. Paul's final words to us in this section remind us, you are no longer dead. You were dead, but you are no longer dead. You are now alive in Christ. So walk. Walk it. Do it. Do the good works that God has prepared for you here and now. I love the way the message says it, the last thing that Sabrina read. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. (laughs) I love that. Because if we do, do you know what we get to experience? At least in part, we begin to experience the kingdom of God, even here on earth. Here and now. I think the problem is so many Christians, we struggle to let Jesus be savior and king over every part of our lives because we've just become convinced that all that really matters is being with Jesus in heaven after we die. Don't misunderstand me. That totally matters. (laughs) That is part of the story that's really good news. But that's not the whole good news. Dallas Willard calls this vampire Christianity. We take the blood of Jesus so we can avoid, avoid the fire of hell. This plays itself out. Uh, we give him some of our Sundays. We'll bring the family for major holidays. Maybe we pray before a meal. And we turn and confess when we feel really bad about something we've done. We'll do those things, but, but then most of the time, we just ask Jesus to stand to the side so that we can go about and live our lives as we see fit. Of course, Christianity is about being with Jesus in heaven after we die. But it's not only about that. 
Did you know that when Jesus himself talks about heaven and hell, he almost always refers to them in the present tense? (laughs) He's saying that life on earth without me is hell. In part, I want to save you from living that way forever. Life with me on earth is the kingdom. In part. And I want to bring you there with me forever. Jesus wants to be Lord of all of it, of my marriage, of my parenting, of my work. I mean, obviously for me, but even if I wasn't a pastor. He wants to be the Lord of my friendships, of the way that I interact with people each and every day. He wants to show me glimpses of the kingdom of God even here on earth. He wants to save me from a living hell. Y'all, this life matters to God. This good news, this gospel, it reunites us with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ even now. We are born again, developing, maturing, being transformed, being made new even now. Paul in another letter says the new creation has come even now, even as we wait for the fullness of that life with God forever. All right, so what what do we do with all of this when we leave here today? Um, This is challenging, but I think that we need to trust the scripture and let it read us. Let it evaluate the way that we're living. Because I may call myself a Christian, but which world am I really living in? Which spirit am I actually obeying? The spirit that fills this life with love and joy and peace, with mercy and grace, with mission and purpose? Or the spirit that fills this life with chaos and confusion, with disorder and destruction? Like if you really think about it, life according to the spirit of this darkened world, it's actually irrational. It doesn't make any sense. Like most of the humans who have ever lived believe believe in a creator. So if there's a creator... He knows how this works. (laughs) So it's irrational to live against the one who made life and knows the way it works. I love the way the message says it. The message says, we let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell us how to live. (laughs) That's irrational. It's nonsensical. It's the work of Satan to take rational beings and lead them to do irrational things. To convince us that life without God even makes sense. Paul makes the case that life lived in the spirit of this world means that we are cooperating with the powers that are opposed to God's will. Life lived in opposition to the way we were created to live. But God, right? But if we are alive in Christ... If the power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in us, then God flips the script and opens up a brand new way of life because we can now take our cues on how to live from the word and not the world. Because that life is marked by joy and peace because we have been saved from a life of chaos and death. We can let our sense of self and identity be shaped and determined by the word and not the world. And I want you to really think about this one. For those of you with kids and grandkids, I want you to really think about this. 
We can now let our sense of self and identity be shaped and determined by the word, which calls us the image bearers of God, which says that we are adopted, redeemed children of God with an inheritance. Do you know what the world is telling you, but also especially your kids and your grandkids? That you're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not rich enough. You're not, you're not, you're not. Chaos and disorder and destruction. That is the world that our kids are growing up in. We now have the ability to let our self and our identity be shaped by the word and not the world because we have been saved through the person and the work of Jesus. And he gives us a life that's marked by confidence and courage, not by fear and doubt. We can now let our career paths, our mission, our purpose in life, it can be formed and shaped by the word and not the world. Because we have been saved for a life full of meaning and purpose and significance. Not the fake things the world throws at us like popularity and influence, things that have no meaning at all. Don't let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Because God has saved us from living like the walking dead, saving us from hell on earth. Through Christ, he has made a way for us to experience life eternal forever, real life that begins even now. And he's showing us how to walk in that life through the power of his spirit, through the truth of his scriptures, until that incredible glorious day when we see him face to face and all things are made new. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, when I think about those three words, justice, mercy, and grace, I am grateful that you are a just God. But as a sinner standing before a holy God, I am grateful that you're a God of mercy and grace. That Jesus took that judgment, that justice that was owed to me, took it upon himself and instead made the greatest exchange in history, took my sin and shame, and in return gave me his righteousness and his peace. So God, I pray every day that you would help me to live in that truth. That yes, my sin nailed Jesus to the cross, but the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in and through me and can take even a sinner like me, make me your adopted child, Make me someone who is useful for the work of your kingdom. Someone who will get to be by your side forever. I pray that for everybody here in this room. I pray that for the families that they come from. I pray that for our neighborhoods, for Kingwood, for Houston, for our world. Help us to believe the truth of the whole gospel because it is truly the best news we could ever hear. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.